You don't need special gadgets to be a hero. With unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase everywhere, the Capital One Quicksilver card makes you the hero of every purchase. Whether it's headphones, a lounge chair, or even a well-deserved massage, whatever the Quicksilver purchase, you're the hero. No fighting bad guys, getting in epic car chases, or parachuting out of buildings required. Simple, isn't it? The Capital One Quicksilver card. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Hey, everyone. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra, combining raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Charles W. Chuck Bryan is rubbing his hair out across from me. That makes this Stuff You Should Know featuring Chuck rubbing his hair. (laughs) I thought you said rubbing his hair out. Out. How do you do that? What does that mean? It's it Am was removing flat against your skull, <laughs> and now it's standing. Oh, up. okay, sure. Sorry, our colloquialisms cause problems sometimes. Every now and then. Yeah, you all right? Uh, yeah, I'm good. You done vomiting? Yeah. Twenty four no. hours, dude. Yeah, like I'm like to the minute almost. I'm glad this table is as keeps us as far apart as. Oh, I, I couldn't. I don't think I could projectile over here. Oh, I thought you meant get you sick. You mean vomit on you? Both. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of afraid of both. Neither one will happen. I'm good. So, Chuck, I'm glad you're good. Thank you. I was looking all over for something to lead in with this. I considered talking about the paladin class character I created when I played Dungeons & Dragons as a kid. Okay. Nah. Nah. Um, I don't remember his name, so it's kind of stupid. Right. Um, I searched news for knights, and I found that in Crestview, Florida... The knights overpowered the hobos in volleyball. Oh, really? Yeah. But it, it made for a pretty good title, Knights Overpower Hobos. Sure. Um, and that was about it. That's the best I got. There's yeah. nothing going on with knights really these days, except the occasional CBS News article about somebody getting an honorary title. Yeah, some musician or actor. This mm-hmm. is, oh, I guess there's other people, but they get all the press. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's not a lot going on with knights, but mm-hmm. I can tell you something. If this were the 13th or 14th century... We wouldn't be recording a podcast. No, but <laughs> we would. There, there'd be news about knights all over the place. Oh, yeah, sure. Everywhere. They, they reign supreme. Carving wood. Uh-huh. Yeah. So let's go back to this. Let's talk about knights. What happened to them? Where did they go? Where did they come from? What did they do in between? Let's get to the meat of this, shall we? <laughs> yeah, sure. Take it, Chuck. Oh, Josh. I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, what was going on back then after the fall of the Roman Empire. So chronologically it is, eh? We'll start at the beginning. Okay. As far as knights are concerned. Uh, we're talking about Western Europe. Yeah. After the fall of the Roman Empire, it was sort of a sort of a lawless mess. Yeah, it was chaos. Of an Anarchy. area. No defined countries, no defined governments. No. No laws that anyone was, you know, abiding by. Right. It was but awful. People were still managing an existence. Yeah, it was sure. just 
often threatened by violence. Yeah, like if I see something that I want, I will take it. Yes. By force. Including your dog. Those are the good old days. Yeah. Or that keg of beer. Right. Uh, and because of this, it was a little bit hard to control. So if you were, let's say, Charlemagne, and you had a lot of this land, right? you might want to do something, might want to impose some sort of uh, restriction or a, a body to kind of rule or take care of things. Perhaps a geopolitical system? Yeah, without it being a government. Well, it was a government. It's a form of government. It's yeah. also a form of sure. economics, too. Feudalism, right? Yeah, feudalism. Right. So Charlemism, he, or Charlemagne, Charlemism. That's sort of Charlemagne. <laughs> that was the original name. <laughs> right. And then he's like, oh, that's just too vain. Let's yeah, call it feudalism. Exactly. Um, Charlemagne was a Frankish king, right? Yeah. And he um, he had just a bunch of land, I guess, that he conquered, or, or he just said, hey, this is mine. Yes. This land is my land. Not this land is your land. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and he, to, since he lacked a central government, he said, hey, you're a buddy of mine. You're an ally. I trust you. Your dad and I fought in the war together. Yeah. Um, here's some land. It's yours. But you owe me big time for that land. Oh, yes. And this is the basis of feudalism. One person doles out land, the king, mm-hmm. the ruler, doles out land to the the secondary ruling class, nobility, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's their land. And in return, they pay for the land through military service generally. Yeah, prote- right? protection basically. And then one rung down below nobility is the serf or pe- or peasant class. Yeah. And they're attached to the land. They're essentially slaves. Yeah, they got the short end of the stick. They definitely did. So um, they pay for their land that the nobility is doled out to them, so it's subdivided even further, mm-hmm. by giving their the noblemen that they serve or vassal, I believe they're also called. Yeah. Um, food or crops or goods, right? Yeah. So that's how they paid for their land. But they were really, they didn't have much of a choice. No. Right? And uh, the feudalism worked because Charlemagne is what, he he's able to keep all of this land by giving it to his friends. The fiefs? Who are going to, yeah, that's the land, right? Yeah. Who are going to protect it against foreign invaders because yeah. it's theirs, but really it's Charlemagne's. Well, yeah, and then the vassals, the knights, they wanted to protect the serfs because they wanted to, you know, the the, the knights made most of their dough, from mm-hmm. what I could see, by their land ownership and farming. And we'll get into the other ways they made money, too. But they wanted to protect their dudes so they could, you know, prosper. Well, not only that, a knight could make money by serving in the stead or the service of the noble person that is paying them. Yeah. Because you had to you you paid for your land through military service either directly by yourself or by paying somebody else to do it for you. Yeah. Or by producing land. And the feudal system did away with um the middle class and common the commons, common land. Yeah. It just did away with it cuz Charlemagne was like this is mine. Right. And you work for me now. And it's sort of yours, but it's really kind of mine. But in return there was that social contract which um, led to basically trading freedom for protection. Yeah. Which is the basis of government today. Yeah. If yeah. You think about it. So the knights were born out of that, right, Chuck? Uh, yes, sir. Pretty much. Um, it w- well, what it did too was with feudalism, you could. It gave you in a time of chaos. It gave you a, a path, like a career path, almost mm-hmm. in a way that you could advance in life mm-hmm. if you wanted to. Yeah, because part of feudalism was the the land grant right um was bestowed 
it, it, it was passed down through the family line. And they just decided to do that. There was never any part of feudalism where it's like, well, we're going to set it up like yeah, this. Sure. It just kind of evolved. Right. So uh, a landowner could pass it to his oldest son, but he may have more than one son. And the other right. son's like, I want to be rich too, so I'm going to go become a knight. Yes, exactly. Right? And knights were not uh, – you weren't born into knighthood. You were born into being ultimately a uh, a page and then later on a squire, mm-hmm. but you had to earn your knighthood for sure. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, the, if you if your dad was a knight, you were automatically a page. But poor people could also conceivably become pages themselves. It Heath happened, Ledger. right? He yes. Le- uh, apparently, I didn't even see a knight's tale. You didn't? No, did you? It was this weird anachronism. Well, yeah, because like, they had they modern music, the golden right? years and everything. <laughs> yeah. and it, it was it was weird, but it was a pretty cool movie. That's pretty, Paul yeah. Bettany was in it. Um, I like that guy. Some other guy who you'd recognize who was Steve the Pirate in um, Dodgeball. Yeah, I know that guy. He was in it. And then this other dude. And then that the other beard. guy. <laughs> yeah. And that girl. R.I.P. Heath Ledger, by the way. Oh, yeah, really? That was a big one. Yeah. Uh, so... Like we said, you were you were automatically a page, and basically up until the age of about seven, you were just sort of doted on by the, the women at the castle, <laughs> taken care of. Your cheeks were pinched. Exactly. And then when you became seven, they moved you to another house with another lord, and you were all of a sudden a page, and right. you were taught how to hunt and um, sort of the beginnings of being taught how to fight. Uh, you were schooled by the monks. Uh, and, you know, schooled as in reading and writing, not right. they schooled you. Right. Although they may have done that, too. Sure. And uh, that's basically where they got their, their start in this whole quest to become a knight. Yeah, and you were saying that at about age seven, you were conscripted or given to another house. And usually it was a friend of the family or a relative who was a knight. Yeah, sure. Um, And that was about age seven? Uh-huh. So that's where the word knight comes from. It's an old Anglo-Saxon word, nicked. I believe, for boy. Yeah, I didn't know how to pronounce it. There's a lot of letters in there that aren't being said. So C-N-I-H-T, knit. Yes, weird. Knit. That's Chaucer. Sure. Um, And also, Chuck, I found out in researching this article that the German word for knight is Ritter, which is literally rider. So the name of the TV show Knight Rider was redundant. Interesting. Rider, rider. Yeah, or knight, knight. And the Germans love Hasselhoff. It all makes sense. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. All right, so after uh, age seven, the kid became a page, and basically the page was the little gopher for the knight's house, right? In addition to being trained, he also just basically did whatever he was supposed to do. And then around the time he turned 14, he was eligible to become an esquire or squire, yeah. and his responsibilities and training became much more specific, right? Yeah, I mean, you were really a houseboy at this point. There's right. a lot of work that went into it, like 14 years of, of work. Or I get the feeling from, from page to squire was a little more learning. Right. But then from squire to knight was when the rubber meets the road. Yes. Although then it was, was time not, to get serious. There was not rubber or roads. <laughs> but you know what I mean. There were trails. <laughs> trails. Yeah. That's where the hoof met the trail. How's that? <laughs> so uh, they became a squire at 14, and that's... Um, they had a little ceremony, a religious ceremony, where you get your sword, which mm-hmm. is a pretty big deal at the time, sure. I'm sure. Um, and you basically become a houseboy. There, each squire had a different job. 
uh, specific to the castle. Can you guess which squire I would have wanted to be? Well, here, let's go through them and let's see if maybe, I wish we could do instant voting. (laughs) But say in your heads, people out there listening, what you think Josh would have been. You have a squire of the body, and that was the personal servant. Mm -hmm. I get the feeling they were probably probably the most trusted. Right. Uh, Squire of the chamber, and they attended to the rooms. That was sort of like, I guess, the, the maid. Yeah, that's that's the worst squire job. I think. The housekeeper, uh, the the carving, the carving squire or table squire carved the meat at the banquet tables, which at catering companies nowadays the like the most stoned dude is the uh, the table squire, also known as the protector of the roast beef. Yes, protector <laughs> of the roast beef. Uh, the squire of the wines managed the wine cellar. That'd be a good gig. Uh, squire of the pantry c- took care of the food and make sure the pantry was stocked with. Mm-hmm. Canned goods and peanut butter and all that good stuff that knights love to eat. Yes. Uh, Squire of the Arms, of course, maintained the armament and the swords and all that kind of stuff. And the Squire of Honor assisted the Lord in ceremonies and feasts. Right. So which one are you? I I think that anybody who's listened to us more than once or (laughs) twice could tell you I would like to be the Squire of the Wines. Squire of the Wines. I'd probably be the Squire of the Pantry because I'm into cooking and stuff. Well, you and I would be like, hey, man. I'll slide you one of these if you slide <laughs> me some of that. You give me a bottle of that <laughs> wine, I'll give you some roast beef. Yes. Or maybe I'd be the carving dude. That's cool. At the carving station. That'd right. kind of nice. Or I, if they had an omelet station, I'd like to do that. <laughs> the <laughs> the squire of the omelet station. Nice, Chuck. So um, from hanging out with the in, at these feasts and carving the roast beef and making the omelets and tending the wine, the the, the um, squire was also being indoctrinated into... Um, a higher lifestyle, learned yeah, how sure. to how to carry himself in 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 situations like feasts and um, festivals and all this stuff. Right? They learn how to be really awful and drink too much to excess and pillage. Basically, <laughs> pretty much. It wasn't as as you know lofty as it seems. I would imagine. No, it's been um, knighthood. I guess we should probably say has been romanticized almost entirely through literature that big time actually originated in. The 13th century, I believe. Oh, really? It Like, while this is going on, they started to romanticize sure. it. Sure. Kind of like Billy the Kid's stories that were read by the youngsters in, right. back east in uh-huh. the 19th century. In the little serial books? Sure. All right. So what you're doing is you're, you're learning all these things, like you said, learning how to be a bad person. Actually, that's not true. You don't want to offend the knights <laughs> you today. You don't want to offend the knights. Elton John will have your head. <laughs> uh, but they also learned, they started to do a little bit more training in the martial arts of, of knightdom. Um, like how to <laughs> handle and ride horses. How to strike someone over the head with a heavy hammer. Yeah, with a heavy hammer. They started wearing the chain mail to get used to like walking around and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and all the weight. Um, and I looked this up, Chuck. Uh, chain mail and plate uh-huh. mail weighed about the same, 40 to 50 pounds, which seems like a lot, but it's about half of what the average foot soldier in the U.S. Army today carries. Really? Uh, an average rifleman carries about 91 pounds of gear. Yeah, but did the knights carry stuff in addition to just no, they the had, armament? They had squires. Oh well. Another go. another duty of the squire was when the knight went into battle. Yeah. Um, or tournaments. He, he right, but mm-hmm. in battle specifically, he went with him, and if the knight fell, he was uh, expected to to basically aid and protect the knight as he got up. Yeah. And actually, we should just since you mentioned that, we should go ahead and point out that you could become an instant knight. Mm-hmm. On the battlefield, yeah. and I get the impression that if you saved your knight's bacon, mm-hmm. you might have a good chance of just being knighted right there on the battlefield. Right, a knight was 
bestowed with the the um, ability to invest knighthood into yeah. a, a squire sure. under circumstances like that. But for the most part, they followed a um, a process, right? Where once you turned about twenty one, if you'd proven yourself a decent squire, if you weren't just completely, you know, fat from being right. a squire of the pantry, or your liver had given out from being the squire of the wine, right, right, um, you could become a knight, right? And usually, this took place during an event, like a larger event, like the Christmas or Easter feast, yeah, or, or weddings, a, yeah, a nobleman's wedding or sure. a festival or something like that. Yeah, and you could uh, be bestowed uh, knighthood by. Other knights, uh, kings, nobles, clergy, and I get the impression that the most favorite way, if your father was a knight, yeah. he might do the do the double tap. Sure. Not the double tap of the SWAT teams and the Delta Force. No. But the, the sword on either side of the of the head, a right. little tap on the shoulder. So this the, the squire would, would sit up for a knight praying, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when he was finally knighted, he would take an oath. That usually included several points, right? Yeah. Um, defending a lady. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. Speaking only the truth. Um, being loyal to his lord. That's a huge part of the feudal system. Yeah. Um, being devoted to the church. That was also... Sure. That came to be a huge part of um, being a knight. Yeah, with the Crusades. Yeah. Um, defending the poor. Being charitable. Defending the helpless. Being brave. And then... Uh, getting into more specific rules too, right? Yeah, these crack me up a little bit. Like um, fighting only one person at a time. Yeah. Never avoiding a dangerous path out of fear. See, I would have failed that one. I would have <laughs> been like, that path looks a lot safer to me, so let's go that way. Yes. That seems like a smart thing to do, not a cowardly thing. <laughs> right. That's just me. But if you if you framed it like that, you could be like, well, I didn't avoid that path out of fear. I avoided it because <laughs> right. it's out of intelligence. Yes, exactly. Um, never taking off your armor during a quest except to sleep. I would. That'd be such a drag. It would be. Can you imagine, like, you get back after the the battle and you're kicking it around the campfire, mm-hmm. and all you want to do is take off your armor mm-hmm. and relax? Yeah. But then the guy who does next to you takes an arrow in his back, and you're like, right. man, I'm glad I kept my armor on yeah. while you're beating someone's <laughs> head in with a war hammer. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're thinking. Um, there's also <laughs> – this one kind of got me I because I would just want to go to sleep. And if I didn't feel like talking, I wouldn't want to talk. But apparently <laughs> one of the oaths that a knight took was to um, – upon returning from a quest or a journey or a battle or something, mm-hmm. uh, he would entertain uh, his the person he was um, conscripted to yeah. with with the, his stories. See, I'd be great at that part. You definitely would. We I, should, I'd, we just, <laughs> I'd just be like, I don't feel like doing this, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this. We should call this one Why Chuck and Josh Would Be Horrible Knights. I think you'd be a good knight. Oh, really? Sure. I'd be a good uh, pantry tender, and that's about it. Uh, what was the What was the last one there? The one that uh, a- if he was taken prisoner, he oh, would yeah. give up um, arms and horse to the opponent, and never fight the opponent again without the opponent's consent. Yeah, that's. I wouldn't want to fight that opponent again <laughs> if they beat me down. You wouldn't want like revenge? You, no yeah. way. Oh. See, that's why I'd be a bad knight. Chuck, revenge makes the world go round. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Who are you to buck that trend? That's true. And once you were l- indoctrinated, you would get your sword, like I said, and then you would also finally get your armor and your horse, and right away they would kind of throw you into things in the form of demonstrating your abilities. Right. You Not would... on the battlefield. No. You'd, you'd kind of hop on a horse. I imagine this to be like, um, you know, some, like hormoned up 
right. kid. Sure. He's like, yeah, man, watch this. And yeah. he's like, starts beating up on like other little kids who right. are still squires, you know, with their wooden swords in front of everybody. Yeah. Sure. Except now he's got a real sword. Um, and also, Chuck, we should say those oaths that the, the knight took. Yeah. Um, basically made up the code of chivalry, which was established, um, basically because knights were the only ones who were armed. Yeah. Who were capable of, um, you know, battling on horseback and could just completely wreak havoc. Oh, yeah. Any, anywhere they wanted to. So mm-hmm. the code of chivalry, especially defending the poor and the weak. So um, they didn't kill the war, the poor and the weak. Right. Or yeah. take their stuff or, or whatever. So this code of chiv- chivalry was intended to keep these, um, comparatively powerful people from just doing whatever they wanted. Right. That was ideal. It didn't always work out like knights also generally pillaged and plundered and took whatever they wanted and yeah. ignored the chivalric code yes which it comes from the french word josh chivalry mm-hmm. which means chivalry yes in french <laughs> that's what I, skills to handle a horse is actually what it means yeah and uh originally that's what knights were just like remember the samurai they yeah. were originally horsemen um, a lot of commonalities between these two actually very yeah they both went the way of the dinosaur because uh-huh. of gunpowder which oh, we'll yeah. get to well, um, that's a spoiler. <laughs> but you can you can also you can make the case that um, the fall of the Roman Empire, feudalism, mm-hmm. and the invention of the stirrup all allowed knighthood to develop. The stirrup showed up in the eighth century, and it allowed stability right. while you're staying on a horse and lancing somebody. Well, and imagine with all the armor and everything too, it probably helped to get up on the horse to yeah. begin with. But that was pretty much like. If you could, if you could fight somebody on a horse, you yeah. were a knight before all of this tradition was right. was dressed alongside of knighthood. A mounted soldier is essentially what a knight was. Yes. Should we talk about uh, weapons? Well, yeah. I just mentioned the lance, right? Yeah, the was, lance was basically like a spear earlier yeah. on, right? And then later on, it developed the uh, the handguard and the and a metal tip on the end of it. And that was, you know, if you were on a mounted horse, you wanted something long so you could engage in battle without getting down from the horse. Sure. Uh, then they had their sword, double-edged, mm-hmm. carbon, uh, what kind? Carbon steel? Yeah, but usually light on the carbon steel. Oh, light on the carbon steel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Heavy on the ketchup. Right. Uh, and they had the, the cross guard hilt and the pommel, which, you know, you've all seen Excalibur. It's that classic-looking sword, very large, uh, I would imagine pretty heavy. Yeah. I've never picked one up. And they, you know, depending on how much money you had, uh, determine how fancy your sword was. Yeah, it could have like a prayer inscribed in it, sure. or your name. Or, yeah, <laughs> it found. So funny, yeah. Please return to Josh Clark. Can't you see it like pinned <laughs> to like your uh, your plate mail, right? Your gauntlet. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and uh, so the sword and the lance were the the two main weapons, right? Yeah, you've talked about the Warhammer a couple of times. I imagine that's probably what you would have liked. Did you look up the Warhammer on Google Images? Ah, uh, yeah. So it's like, they're not as big. It's not like Thor's Warhammer. No. It's like a tack hammer. Yeah. With the, the um, pointed, like the rounded curve pointed end on mm-hmm. one side and then a hammer on the other. And I just imagine like some guy in, in yeah. some sort of male just beating somebody's head in with this thing. I doubt if it was pretty. That's what the European martial arts amounted to, like death through blunt instruments. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, they uh, had axes, which also uh, could slice you up, and the mace, the metal 
uh, it, wasn't the mace the metal ball on the end of the um, chain? That's the, I think a mace isn't on a chain. I oh, think it's the just morning on the, star is on the chain. Right, there you if go. I, if my paladin training serves me, <laughs> I think the morning star is on the chain. Right. Mace is a, a pointed ball. Just on the end of a stick. A stick. They thought that they did think though that um, although they did use archers in war, the knights kind of a lot of them thought that was a little bit cowardly to shoot yeah. something from a distance. Yeah, because there was no hand to hand combat. Yeah, They're like get down here and fight me like a man. Exactly, one at a time. One at a time, and uh, that's about it on the weapons front. Uh, you would get some privileges though once you became a knight that not everyone got, like owning land and being called sir. And that was it. I was no, that it? you were because you own land, and I don't think it was necessarily because you're a knight, but because you own land, you dispense justice locally. Right, right. Somebody stole someone's dog. Sure, you'd be like, "I'm going to cut this dog in half, and you can both have it." And the true owner would be like, "No, no, don't cut the dog in half. He can have the whole dog." And you'd be like, "It's your dog." And, um, and now I will cut the him in half. Justice. Right, yeah. yeah. And then you just beat the other guy's head in with the Warhammer. <laughs> uh, you could pack heat in church. You were allowed to <laughs> carry your sword to church. Yeah. Apparently not everyone could do that. Nope. You would get a seat at the high table at feasts with the lords and royals, and you could wear your armor in battle because you could afford it. Right, and you also were expected to lead soldiers into battle yeah. like a, an officer today. Sure. Um. Chuck, let's talk about wartime for a second. Okay. One of the things that shaped the European knights were the Crusades, right? Yeah, I don't know a ton about the Crusades, but we're going to do probably a full podcast on that at some point. I agree. But so, school me. Just just very briefly, the first crusade took place in 1096, and it was based okay. on a sermon by the Pope in 1095 that basically said, the Muslims have Jerusalem, and we need to go get it back. Right. And I think the Europeans are considered to have won or been successful on the first crusade, and then the Muslims overran, overran Jerusalem again. Right. Uh, in their uh, in their view, took it back because uh-huh. it was an equally holy land, right? Right. Um, after that, so for the next two hundred years, there were crusades, crusades, crusades. I think there were there were several. Yes, right. <laughs> it's more than two. There definitely. <laughs> and um, over time, orders of knights developed out of these crusades. Right. Uh, and they also this is this is the time when religiousness was attached to knighthood. So swearing yeah. an oath to the church, um, being a Christian defender of Christianity. Right. All of this became attached to knighthood about this time, and it was about this time also, not coincidentally, that knighthood became romanticized as well. Sure. So that they had uh, popular support. Yeah, this, they were pious. They were defending your freedom. Exactly. Defending God. So the, so if I think the stirrup feudalism... And the Crusades are what right. really shaped knighthood in in Europe, I would say. Isn't it crazy how Christians and Muslims... All this time. All this time have been going at each other. Yeah. I don't that's, see that changing anytime soon. That's why we have to do one on Crusades. Yeah. Josh, let's talk about peacetime. Okay. You want to? Yeah. During peacetime, they would have uh, tournaments, much like you would see at Medieval Times restaurants <laughs> these days. <laughs> you ever been to one of those? No. I haven't either. You know, In fact, the only time... I'm thing I know about him is from uh, the Cable Guy movie. Same here, actually. Yeah. Janine Garofalo is the uh, the waitress, the medieval waitress. I don't remember that part. She was really funny. She had a, what was her line about, uh, they asked for a fork or something, and she said, 
there were no forks in medieval times, so there are no forks at medieval times. <laughs> and so Matthew Broderick had to eat with his hands. That sounds familiar. Well, that's because you've seen the movie. Uh, during peacetime, <laughs> Joshua would have these tournaments, and it was a big, it was like the NFL football of the day. It was like the NFL and World Cup put together. Imagine how boring your life would be. Oh, yeah. During this time, and yeah. then all of a sudden, there's some knights beating the tar out of each other in the castle keep. Yeah. That's huge. And a melee. That's like life changing. You'd probably tell your grandchildren about that and they'd be like, shut up. We've heard this story 800 times. You're Jerry 32 Garcia, years blah, old. Blah, blah, blah. Just go ahead and die. I mentioned <laughs> melees. <laughs> 32. You're an ancient human being. Have you ever seen um the Mr. Show little clip? Oh, where yeah. it's like, um, questions, questions, questions. Yeah. Modern man can think of three <laughs> questions. It's set in like a medieval village. Uh-huh. Yeah. So classic. Uh, <laughs> I, I briefly mentioned the word melee, and that was actually a, a real thing. It wasn't just like uh, a free-for-all. Well, it was a free-for-all, but that's where the word came from. Right. The knights would, would gather out in the middle of the keep and sort of reenact what a real battle would be like, and a judge or a marshal would say, let it begin, and you would start fighting each other one at a time until there was only one of you left standing. Right. And that's why it was popular. Blood sport. Sure. And these things were for for spectators. Oh, yeah. You could also make some cash off of them. Yeah. If you won, um, especially in the joust. Yeah. If time. you won a joust, you got the other guy's armor, mm-hmm. extremely expensive, and horse. Yeah. Extremely expensive. And horse's armor, perhaps. Sure. And um, the guy would be like, well, here you go. I'm a knight, so you're a knight, too, and you just beat me in the joust. Here's my stuff. And the guy who was taking it would <laughs> so say, great. you know, I have a really good idea. I've got some extra armor I'm never going to use here. <laughs> I need to unload. You are <laughs> virtually naked. Uh-huh. Well, let me just sell it back to you. But that's my armor. A- and it'd be like, P.S., pal, <laughs> yeah. you have to buy it back because I'll kill you if you don't. Yeah. But the, so if you did that a few times, you just made a bunch of money in well, one yeah. tournament. Unless you're losing, you could also lose your fortune if you're a bad jouster. Sure, I would be. I would try to improve my jousting skills for sure. You could also lose your life if you were King Henry II of France. Yeah, he died. He got a, a spear through the little visor, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like right through the eye hole. Yeah. And uh, during a, a joust, Josh, it's hard to say. <laughs> You would uh, charge each other on a horse, obviously. You've probably seen this before with your, your joust out. What I did not know is what you're trying to do. I always thought you were just trying to knock them off. You're trying to break your lance on their body. Uh, well, you won if you knocked them off, but you they it, you could also win through points by, yeah. by breaking a lance or just even making contact. But I, I'm under the impression you got more points if you broke your lance. Well, and you get more points according to which body part you break it on. Like sure. if you break it on a dude's head, I would say that's probably more points. Yes. Although back then, maybe that was in poor form. Maybe that was penalty, penalized. Who knows? I don't know. This is a culture where, again, the martial arts are consist right. of beating other people to death with blunt instruments. And uh, you were talking about making a ton of money. There was a famous knight called Ulrich von Lichtenstein. And he's the one who Heath, Ledger, Heath Ledger's character imposters pretended to be yes yes uh in that movie and he's a legendary knight who apparently was pretty good at jousting he actually wrote an autobiography really yeah it's in the source in middle english yeah that must have been a fun read yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it's translated into late English. Old English with an E. 800. Oldie? Yeah. Emily's uh, parents used to live on in one of those neighborhoods where it's all, you know, mm-hmm. old English. Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Sherwood Forest. Their street was Crown Point, but we called it Crowny Pointy because <laughs> it was obviously at ease. Yeah. And I always call Avondale Estates, ye olde Avondale Estates. Yeah. Did you know there is no word ye? The Y-E mm-hmm. is still pronounced the. Really? Yeah. So when I say ye old, I'm just a moron? There's no such thing. Wow. Yeah. But again, Chuck, I think one of the things that we've done with this show is prove that if you can get your point across, mm-hmm. that's correct. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Let's talk about armor. Okay. Chainmail. Well, first they had leather. Yeah, which is borrowed from the Romans. Yes. And leather was pretty good for like a sword swipe. Yeah, it, it protected against cutting blows. Yeah. But if you were going to be run through, you're in trouble. Exactly. And the same with chainmail. Chainmail was was good and would protect you even more from a slice, mm-hmm. but still, uh, a big joust or a or a lance jousting you, puncturing you, a big sword, mm-hmm. your, your chainmail is probably not going to work out that well either. And it says in this article that that was also borrowed from the Romans. Untrue. Chainmail was developed by Celts in Eastern Europe as far back as the third century. Does it say that in here? No. Okay. Uh, and then if you had some serious dough, you would get the plate armor, which, uh, if you've ever seen, like, the knight standing in the corner, mm-hmm. not the real the knight. suit of armor. Yeah, the suit of armor. That's exactly what it is. Um, they protected you a lot more from a puncture wound, but still wasn't 100%. And uh, where you're really vulnerable was in the gussets, where, <laughs> like, in your armpits and the places where your joints would meet. Yeah. Where you had chain mail underneath. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. They they wore chainmail and the plated armor. So does that equal what a modern day soldier would? Wear? I read that chainmail and plate mail weighed about the same, forty to fifty pounds. So then I guess if you were wearing both, it'd be eighty to a hundred pounds of armor. Right. Yeah. And apparently they could move around pretty pretty well in these. It's not like in the funny movies when you see them like on the ground writhing about because they can't get up. Right. Apparently you can move okay. Not like if you were wearing nothing at all. Because that's when you can really move, when you're naked. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But you could get up off the ground. You could uh, mount a horse. But that doesn't do anything if you've got a gun pointing at you, does it? No, it doesn't. And actually, um, I can't remember the show, but it's one of the shows where um, one ancient warrior battles another ancient warrior. Yeah, and uh, it's called Battles of the Ancient Warriors. Something there's like five of them in there. Yeah, there's a few. Um, there, there was uh, I saw pirate versus knight, right? I would say a knight would win. No, oh, because they had gunpowder. Yes, that's exactly right. If that pirate had just had his sword, he would have been totally screwed. Mm-hmm. But he had gunpowder. Yeah, and this is a really good point that um, gunpowder made uh, knights obsolete. Sure. Uh, actually, in by the way, in the pirate versus knight battle, at the end, the pirate gets the knight down, pulls his visor up, and shoots him in the face, and that's <laughs> that. Serious? Yeah, it's really graphic. Do they reenact these? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they battle. I got to see that. Um, but the uh, the the gunpowder brought about the end of the military martial knights. Yeah. Because number one, there was no more like you couldn't make armor that was that was going to defend against firearms. Right. And that was a huge hallmark, a characteristic of a knight, the ability to wear armor and fight on a horse. Not everybody could do that. Right. And that same specialization became obsolete by gunpowder because 
I can just shoot you with the gun. Right. You go ahead and study for 14 years your little sword play and protect <laughs> yeah. the wine, and I'll just shoot you in the face because I'm a pirate. Sure. So that was the end of knighthood, much the same way that firearms brought about the end of the samurai yeah. in Japan as well. They were just sort of like uh, Asian knights in a way. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, Chuck? Yes, Do you want to talk about a few orders of knights? Knights Templar? Do you know how many emails we would get if we just hadn't talked about the Knights Templar? I'm so sick of the Knights Templar. I am too. This whole Dan Brown stuff. I know. It, it, yes, there was a whole group of knights and they were associated with the devil, but they actually <laughs> have like this plundered, this treasure. Yeah. I, I hate it. It's so played out. So that's the Knights Templar. There was also <laughs> the Knights Hospitallers, and uh, also called the Knights of Saint John of the Hospital, and they cared for the sick uh, pilgrims, which is what they do today. Right, and the Templar and the um, Knights of Saint John of the Hospital, um, both and Teutonic Knights, all developed to protect pilgrims on the way to the Holy Land during yeah. the Crusades. Remember, we said the Crusades mm-hmm. really shaped knights. Yeah, um, Order of the Garter. Yeah. King Edward III of England established this in uh, the 1300s, and they were an elite group of knights that are still around today, yeah. and they're royalty and uh, appointed by the sovereign of Great Britain. Yes, and originally there were um, women in the Order of the Garter, uh, and that went away yeah. for many centuries. And then in 1987, Queen Elizabeth said, we're going to get the, the gals back in this. And Bring in the ladies. Exactly. And um, Order of the Garter weren't the only female knights, right? Yeah, what was the other one? There was a bunch. Um, from, let's see, 1358 to 1488, there were women in the Order of the Garter. Um, in the Order of the Star of India, that was another order of knights. Yeah, I think a we woman... talked about that in the Masons, didn't we? Oh, no, that's the Order of the Eastern Star. Oh, God, I'll get those confused. Um, well, they're pretty close. The, in 1861, a woman with one of the coolest names of all time, Nawab Begum. It sounds like Barbara Walters is pronouncing it. Yeah. Nawab Begum was uh, inducted in 1861. Um, Order of the Hatchet? Yes. Sounded like, that sounds like probably the meanest female knights would be the Order of the Hatchet. Yes. And the, they uh, protected the, uh, they defended the Spanish town of Tortosa from the Moors. And so they said, you know what, you... You did a pretty good job. We're going to make you the Order of the Hatchet. And unfortunately, <laughs> that original group was the only Order of the Hatchet. They didn't yes. uh, survive beyond that. And then um, the Order of St. John's of the Hospital also had female knights known as nuns. Warrior nuns. Warrior nuns. You don't see that in the movies. And then there wasn't a lot going on with knights for a couple of centuries until... A little guy with stubby fingers stopped doing cocaine and straightened up his life. A man named Elton John was knighted in 1998, yeah. right? As we like to say here in Atlanta, sometime Atlanta resident or part-time Atlanta resident. Right. Boy, when he moved here, the just Southerners that loved huge. that. Yeah. yeah. Elton I John. He's the toast of the town, wasn't he? Yeah, he still is. I never see him around. I don't know. Uh, Paul McCartney, uh, Mick Jagger, Bono. Are we calling him Bono? Is that not his name? I thought it was Bono. Is it? One of the two. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. Uh, Bono is, is a, I think, what's his real name? Uh, Paul Hewson, I think. Uh, I think that's right. Is it? I think so. I don't think they called him Sir Bono. I never imagined him with an, a real name. Yeah, I think Paul. Bono Vox was what he, was his full name, and it means good voice. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. He was a little full of himself back when he was a kid in Ireland. In Ireland. Uh, and um, The Edge, what's his name? Tommy Edge? He has, he has a real name, too. He wasn't born The Edge. <laughs> he was married as The Edge, though. Was he really? Yeah. I remember when he got married. I don't know if, like, in the ceremony, uh-huh. but in all of the spread, it was, like, The Edge and Mrs. Edge. I think his name's Dave something, but I wonder if those guys ever feel silly now. It's um, Dave Coulier. That's his name. Oh, is it? I wonder if they ever feel silly. If Edge I know, ever goes being like sixty, and yeah, being called the Edge. And the Edge. I thought of that when I was eighteen. It was kind of cool back then. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the equivalent of those stupid Jersey Shore kids with all their dumb names. Yeah, I can't believe that they're. I can't believe the Jersey Shore. I've never I seen it. I can't believe that in two thousand ten, the Jersey Shore is one of the most popular <laughs> shows on television. I've never seen it. I refuse. Just, just take like a minute and, really? and watch a clip on YouTube. You'll get everything you need to know. They won't be knighted anytime soon. Uh, and who else? Well, you get if you're a female knight, you're a dame. Yeah, like Dame Judy Dench. Yep. Uh, you want to hear some more? Sure. Surprising ones? Oh, yeah. Steven Spielberg. Really? Bill Gates. Scotty Pippen? No. No. Uh, he's, a, he's an honorary member of the Eastern Star. Okay. Uh, Bill Gates, Ted Kennedy. Got one right before he died. Right. Rudy Giuliani. Really? Who, by the way, I learned, um, has a Blackwater-esque security company now. That's how he's making his money. Called and Rudy's apparently Gang? They're, they're fighting <laughs> the drug war down in Mexico. Really? Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that, but yeah. Uh, Pele. Colin Powell. Really? Robert Mugabe. Really? The president of Zimbabwe, <laughs> whose knighthood was rescinded in 2008. What for? Uh, just being a horrible dictator. Yeah, sure. um, and then Mussolini was also a knight starting in 1923, and his was rescinded in 1940. And then so, Bob Hope. Yeah, that makes sense. Honorary knight. Wow. So we could actually be knights. I thought you had to be, uh, you know, not from the, not American. If you're American, you can be knighted, but you're not titled sir. Ah. Uh, so it, wouldn't, it's, it wasn't Sir Bob Hope? No. Just Bob. It's, yeah, Bob. Gotcha. Just Bob. Or the That's edge. what he wanted anyway. Chuck, this was a long one. Do we have any uh, listener mail, anything like that? Uh, let's do a quick announcement for our trivia event, and then we have a few Facebook questions. Okay. Well, um, I guess let's get the trivia announcement Go event ahead. music started. <laughs> uh, Chuck, on October 13th, 2010, AD, there will be an event Unlike any other, except for one that we held in New York in June. This is the quick version? <laughs> well, October 13th, 6 p.m., doors open. We uh, finally have a time, dude. Yeah, it was like we surmised. At Five Seasons Brewery, we're having our trivia event. Doors West open side. at 6. West Side, yes. Yeah. Uh, where, what, Marietta and Howell Mill Sort of near there, meet. for sure. It's like right there. Oh, is it? Um, at, from 6, 6 p.m., the doors open. 7 mm-hmm. p.m., we're starting trivia. John Hodgman... Um, the editor of The Onion, Joe Randazzo, and the creator of Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Dave Willis, mm-hmm. uh, will all be playing with us, playing Triv with us. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be awesome. It'll Anybody be who wants to come can play. I believe um, Scout Mob, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to have like some sort of coupon or like half-off drink something. Yeah, they, they've you uh, can get. jumped on the bandwagon here, and they're, yeah. we're promoting each other. Uh, and that's going down October 13th, the night before, at the Drunken Unicorn on Ponce de Leon Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the kind of unofficial house band for Stuff You Should Know, the Henry Clay People, will be playing starting at what time? It's a, it's a later show. Um, I would get there by like, you know, 9. They probably won't go on to about 11. So Ho- hopefully John and Joe will be there too. Hopefully. We can't promise that. Two huge days in the southeast. October 12th, yeah. a Tuesday, Henry Clay People. October 13th, a Wednesday, our trip event. Thursday, who knows? Yeah. We'll all be in Guadalajara by then. I just saw the guys too this past weekend. Cool. We came through town, not playing a gig. But uh, we cooked out and played music, and That's awesome. it was awesome. It was a good time. Did you use your guitar picks? No, I didn't. Actually, I just kind of watched while they played. Um, how many of these can we get to? I don't know. I didn't know we were doing this. This is Facebook stuff. So we have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash stuff you should know, by the way. Yes, please like it, because that, that is good for us <laughs> around here. Yeah. We get a penny for every person that likes us. I was going to say nickel. Uh, Daniel S. says, why doesn't Jerry ever talk? Uh, Daniel, Jerry talks all the time. You have no idea. Endlessly. She just doesn't do it on the show. Uh, Aaron Hagen says, do you, me, and Emily ever hang out together? Yes, they do, when Chuck and I hang out together. But we were, forbade uh, them from seeing each other unless we're yeah, present. We don't want them talking or coming up with anything to use against us, yeah. right? Emily loves Yumi. Well, Yumi loves Emily. Really? Yeah. That's good. Uh, like this, you would tell me, actually, she thinks Emily's a real jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yumi can't stand Emily. Uh, Katina Franklin Sweetie says, what was your best Halloween costume ever? Uh, I was a Harry Krishna one year, and that went over pretty well. I, like, shaved my head and had the ponytail. No and way. Little tambourine and literature and everything. Real literature? Did you get your hands on some Hare Krishna literature? No, I just I printed some out. And gotcha. What about you? Um, when I was uh, in elementary school, my mom made an upside down clown costume. So uh, from my <laughs> yeah. shoulders were the legs sticking up. Uh-huh. In between my legs, my actual legs was the head. Yeah. And then it looked like a clown walking on his hands. It was pretty awesome, actually. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, Kristen Keeler says you cover a lot of topics that are outside your area of expertise. What do you personally know a lot about? I know a lot about music and movies and filmmaking and camping and hiking and uh, personal uh, defense systems. Excellent. <laughs> what about you? I didn't hear the question. I was reading what, the next What one. do you know a lot about personally, expertise-wise? Oh, weird. Um, um, you know a lot about politics. I guess, but I mean, how's that? What do you know a lot about? Expertise. (laughs) What am I an expert in? I guess throwing stars. Okay. That's about it. Throwing stars. Uh, The Joe Moore says, I saw Pavement last night in Central Park. It was truly memorable. Uh, Guys, what is your best concert experience ever? Hmm. I've got a top five. Wow. Public Enemy in 1991 at the Masquerade. Nice. Unbelievable cross-cultural experience. (laughs) Uh, the London Philharmonic did Beethoven's Ninth at Carnegie Hall. Okay. The full choir yeah. at the Ode to Joy. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, two Lollapalooza experiences. The first one with Jane's Addiction. Oh, yeah. That was um, immense. Yeah. And then the second one, uh, the Beastie Boys, was just out of control. It was so good. Yeah. Uh, Bonnie Prince Billy last year, which I know you hate. Yeah. And Levon Helm. I saw Levon Helm last year, and it I was just don't know classic. Who that is. He's the uh, was the drummer and part-time singer for the band. My favorite group. Oh, the band, the band. Yeah. I gotcha. What about you? What's your favorite? Or Best favorites? stage show I ever saw in my entire life was Peter Gabriel. Oh, I bet. In the, I guess, early 90s. God, that would have been good. 
Um, I guess all around best show I ever saw would have been Alternate down mm-hmm. in Florida when I was a little rave kid. Uh-huh. And then, let's see, there has to be at least one other. Did you have a pacifier? Yes. <laughs> it had Mickey Mouse on it. Yeah. God. Yeah, I was definitely one of those rave kids. I was so glad I'm just old enough to have been too old for the rave culture. Yeah, yeah, you just I missed saw it, the, the big leg jeans and the pacifiers and I just didn't get it. Oh, and probably my first concert ever, Hall & Oates, with Till Tuesday opening for him. Poor Till Tuesday got booed off stage. Really? Yeah. Um, but Hall & Oates came out and they were backed by G. Smith and the Saturday Night Live band, including the guy who wears like the floor-length mink coats uh-huh. and plays the sax. Yeah. Like, they were the band, and they played everything. So that was a good one, too. I was like, hey, I like concerts. I'm going to start going to them. Yeah, Amy Mann is still terrific. Sure. And she's buddies with Paul Tompkins. I did not know that. I believe so. Awesome. They're part of the whole Largo scene. Is there anything else? You got anything else? Nah. Nah? Nah. All right. That's it. That's it. Uh, If you want to ask us a question... Chuck asks for them intermittently on Facebook. That's uh, facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can just send us a plain old fashioned email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. (laughs) Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey, everyone. The Easter Bunny is coming early this year. That's right. Easter is Sunday, March 31st. And with free in-store pickups, CVS makes it easy to get everything you need for brilliant baskets and happier hunts. You can find delightful toys, Peeps-themed egg decorators, pre-filled Easter eggs packed with goodies, and so much more. So hop to it and get your order fast with free CVS pickup. Visit cvs.com Easter for details.